This is the Doctor Who Podcast. You are most welcome. In this episode of the Doctor Who Podcast, we'll be taking a trip with the Technicolor Time Lord as we review the latest Big Finish Sixth Doctor trilogy. Hello and welcome to episode 156 of the Doctor Who podcast. The perceptive listener out there may realise that I'm joined by Leeson. Hello Leeson. Hello James. And that's it. It's just a pair of us this week for, for one reason or another. Trev, I think he's, he's working late and, and Tom, I think it's a mixture of returning from holidays and, and gigging whilst jet lagged. Now, one thing before we get started on um, on this week's main podcast subject, which as Leeson said is the latest Sixth Doctor Big Finish trilogy. Just want to talk about a, a conversation, a very innocuous question that I asked on the last podcast concerning how River Song time travelled, and I think it was it was something towards the end of our conversation uh, that Trevor said, and he invited listeners to to explain where there was any evidence that River Song could time travel pretty much at whim. And my goodness, it opened the floodgates. So I think what we'll do, rather than read every single piece of feedback we received, I will just choose one and I will then refer to a few other names. So this is from David Rowers, and he was the first person to email in. And he says, River obtained a vortex manipulator from Dorium in the Pandorica Opens. The line was River, get them all home, referring not only to Amy and Rory, but Jenny and Madame Vastra. Now, I think that is absolutely correct. And I think we had round about 11 emails coming within 48 hours of that podcast going online, all saying more or less the same thing. So do we, do we accept that that is the way that River time travels, Listen, I, I, I think that guy's spot on. Sorry, what was his name? It was David Rowers. David Rowers, you are you are spot on, I think. Uh, and this is just it's, it's proof once again that uh, the hive mind uh, has worked beautifully. Yeah, thanks go to Rupert Bath, Nick Carter, Katie Griffiths, James Graff, and Angus Tyne, who all emailed or tweeted us the same thing in various states of disbelief that we couldn't actually answer that question instantly. <laughs> so <laughs> we were getting a little bit of uh, criticism from our listeners there. Well, what what our listeners have got to understand is we we record at a very early hour of the morning, uh, before enough coffee has been ingested, uh, and before we've really got our brainiums going. Um, so, if we do make uh, what seem like childish errors sometimes, then you've got to put it in the context of the early morning. And we've got really bad memories too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> but as has been said before, it means we can uh, enjoy Doctor Who episodes over and over again, uh, having forgotten essential plot oh, points. Oh, do you know, that is so pertinent to the discussion that we're going to have, uh, maybe in just about 10 minutes about those big finished plays, but uh, I'll, I'll talk <laughs> about that more when we get there. But 
But just before we do get into the main part of the podcast, just want to talk about uh, a podcast we recorded what seems like ages ago. It was an episode 151, so it wasn't actually that long ago, where we went through the list of stories that Leeson had yet to see. Uh, these were These were classic Doctor Who stories. And rightly or wrongly, Lisa made a decision to watch Planet of the Spiders next, following that discussion with Trev, Tom and I. And you've watched it now, haven't you? I have. I literally uh, went out uh, that day uh, and got myself a copy, sat down uh, the following evening uh, with the wife, and uh, and yeah, uh, we we, uh, we ingested it. It's quite nice to come to it having had it recommended, even though... I was already aware of its, of its reputation as being a good show, but it's always it's always nice to come to something. Um, well, the opposite of when you come to something that's got a bad reputation, you, you, you're a bit more relaxed, a bit more comfortable with something that's uh, that's been recommended, and it it didn't disappoint. Uh, it, it had, I think it was Tom that said it was kind of a distillation of everything of the Pertwee era and all the threads coming together, yeah. and it, it certainly was that because you had the mysticism, and. You had where episode two, or it's it's the it's the car boat plane helicopter chase which which is essentially the whole of episode two isn't it <laughs> now yes as that as that went on and on and on i could i couldn't quite get looking at my watch thinking this is going to be the whole episode and my missus was in fits absolute fits she, she always finds it rather amusing when pertwee does his action stuff because um, sometimes it doesn't quite work in in the james bond spirit that it is intended because of the budget mm, mm. um but often she doesn't she doesn't she doesn't find that that side of the doctor um, too alluring, so she was she was giggling uh, all the way through that. And then we came back the following night to uh, to watch the the next episode, and uh, and, and my missus went to. Uh, so what happened in the last episode? I went, Don't you remember? It, it was the it was the chase, and she went, "Oh yes." And then we put it on, and then you get the five minute recap of the chase. <laughs> they really, really made the most out of that. But no, it was such a fitting send off uh, for for the um, for the third Doctor. He's he is, is absolutely on form, and I, I love the, the, the subtlety with the um, the actual regeneration scene after he's done his big heroic thing. The, just just a few quiet words he has as he's laying on the floor about to regenerate. It was. Um, it was quite a beautiful touching scene mm, yeah i mean I, interesting when when you talk about the the send off for the for the third doctor because if you look what's what's happened in the past the first doctor i mean the 10th planet wasn't a particularly celebratory episode and i don't think that doctor who had reached its iconic status and i don't think anyone had really believed that it was going to last mm. for the next well probably at that point the next 12 months let alone the next 49 years or 48 years or however long it is now the second Doctor was a little bit, a little bit more direct because it was a ten episode, and that was the only ten episode of the second Doctor era. It was a big long story, all you know, mixed themes, mixed stories. You know, it was a, almost a kind of a quest um, story, I think. And you know, the the end of the second Doctor's reign was was a nice way to cap that. But the third Doctor one was the most overt one. At that point in time, I mean, they had everything John Pertwee wanted. The the Hoomobile, the extended chase scenes that you talked about. Barry Letts knew he was going, so he thought, well, why not get my direct Buddhist Mm -hmm. allegory in there? And I I just think it was um, it was a the closest to self indulgent, I would say, that the cast and crew Mm. ever got. Uh, in the seventies, but I enjoyed it. Now, Planet of the Spiders hasn't got a massively popular or a good. 
reputation within fandom, but I have always enjoyed it, and I've always enjoyed that chase sequence that you <laughs> you described quite eloquently. And I'll tell you the best thing about it. Um, there's one of the actors, um, and well, it was John Durth, but most of the actors in Planet of the Spiders have been in previous John Pertwee mm. stories. And again, it was just a case of them selecting their favourite people to work with for their final story. But during that chase sequence, particularly on the speedboat. You count the number of double takes John Durth gives. He looks over his shoulder quickly and then once again, uh, and he does it about 12 times. And I thought initially it was just, you know, the same piece of footage used because every time he looks around, the doctor is there and of course mm. he doesn't expect him to be. But no way. This is this is this John Durth giving double take probably... <laughs> You know, far too much attention. Um, it could have been a deliberate joke. Who knows? But uh, but it's the best chase sequence in my view in the entire um, entire run of Pertwee, possibly with the exception of the hovercraft uh, section. Sea Devils, in, yeah, in sea yeah. Devils. It did the whole. Oh, it did have a, a sort of celebratory. Although it was quite dark and melancholic, it, it, it had a and mm. it had a kind of celebratory feel to it. And yeah, because like as you say, the, the production team knew they were going, and it kind of set the benchmark for things to come uh, of making making it a big event when the Doctor passed and, and almost um, celebrating uh, you know, the, the time that you'd had with them. Hmm. No, I, I think you're right. And I think if you look at the way that every Doctor exited the show, they made a deliberate shift from this point onwards mm. to make it feel different and to the point where you had the Fifth Doctor saying, oh, it feels different this time. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that's something that perhaps we can take a look at in more detail in future DWPs, take a look at each of the regeneration stories and see you know, how they decided to end each era. And uh, yeah, I think, I think Pertwee's it was, was the first real event um, story or regeneration story. Yeah, but uh, what's next on your list to see, Liz? Uh, the next one is Keys of Marinus, which is already winging its way to me via the Royal Mail. So it'll be with me sometime this year, maybe. So on to the meat and potatoes of this show. Uh, we're looking at the uh, latest Sixth Doctor Big Finish audio trilogy, comprising uh, The Curse of Davros, Wirren Isle, and uh, Fourth Wall. Not necessarily in that order. Uh, now, we need to... <laughs> <laughs> not in that order. <laughs> in fact, definitely not in that order. We need to, to make quite explicitly clear here that um, that... There are integral parts of these stories that, that will be spoiled uh, and, uh, and and it will remove uh, a considerable amount of enjoyment from the plays if if you listen to this prior to, to, to listening to them. So if you haven't heard them, um, then uh, pause now, go and buy them, uh, give them a listen and come back in an hour or so. Uh, if, you, if you're not too interested in listening, uh, then we will be discussing plot points and uh, uh, very integral to the, to the structure of the story. So uh, with that in mind... On to Curse of Davros. Uh, I'm going to let James go first on this one because I have a feeling our, our opinions may clash. <laughs> Possibly, <laughs> given um, given furious texts that have been exchanged between Lisa and I when we were both listening to this play. What was, what, three or four months or so ago now? It is a while ago now, yeah. This is one of the good things about um, re- reviewing these trilogies a good few months after they've been released is that we can be a little bit more liberal um, in, in terms of what we discuss. But uh, I would like to echo what Lisa says. We always issue a spoiler warning when we talk about these uh, these plays but I want to double that for this trilogy if that makes sense because it's just not worth listening to the plays if you, if you know what's going to happen um, 
Okay, I'll, I'll tell you a little story, um, and it's, it's based on what you said to me a little while ago, Lisa, actually, where you, mm-hmm. you said it's so important where you actually listen to these plays, and I think, mm. you know, if you're on the bus or if you're sitting down at home just focusing, the environment in which you listen to the stories has a direct impact on your enjoyment. And now all of these three plays I listened to very, very quickly. I listened to them in the space of a week and it was whilst I was doing other things. So I wanted them to be fairly accessible. You know, I I didn't want to spend a great deal of time, you know, working uh, my excuse for a brain uh, trying to understand what was going on. And as a consequence of that, I did not enjoy this trilogy the first time I listened to it. And that's all three plays. Mm. Um, the very first one we're talking about, The Curse of Davros, I was looking forward to even more so because I love Terry Malloy in pretty much whatever he does. Mm. And I, I just thought, no, this is this, this is not a sensible story. It's, um, it's jumping around far too much. The thing that really gets me when I watch classic Doctor Who um, or even new Doctor Who is where you have doppelganger stories or where you have body swap stories. Mm. And this is one of those stories... And for me, as soon as I realised that, I was thinking, oh dear, Um, because normally I think it's a bit of a gimmick and it Mm -hmm. limits the story that you're able to tell. And I listened to the four episodes fairly quickly, um, well, you know, one after the other, and was quite quick to say I didn't enjoy that. Mm. Now, I listened to this again earlier on this week, and... I was a completely different set of circumstances. I was sitting down at home. I really was just concentrating, um, listening to Big Finish on big earphones, which, incidentally, listener, is by far the best way uh, to listen to Big Finish plays. You get the full effect of the sound design as well. And I have to say, I loved it <laughs> when I re-listened. And I was, I was so surprised uh, to suddenly find myself really enjoying it. I I picked up things and, you know, one-liners that I didn't get before. Mm. Uh, the new companion, Flip, I, I suddenly thought, wow, she is really quite interesting. Mm. Uh, whereas before I thought she was a, pretty much a caricature, nothing new. And the whole storyline, rather than limit the storytelling potential that body swapping mm. <laughs> um, usually uh, u- usually forces into the story. It, it liberates it. And, mm. it, you know, it's the, the performances that I completely missed the first time of Terry Malloy and, and, and Colin Baker, mm-hmm. you, they have not performed in a better way. I mean, it, it, it's so, so good. And um, I, I, I even enjoyed the, the history side of things with Napoleon and... Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Duke of Wellington and and how that was introduced to the story too, but I mean it, it's not a perfect story, but it's by far one of the better uh, Six Doctor stories that I've listened to in in a very long time. Even though I took a long time coming to that conclusion. <laughs> well, um, James, I mean you've you've shocked me and uh, and quite slightly wrong footed me because I came into this um, um, expecting what, what was your initial appraisal of the story, which yes. was uh, I think was just terrible. I think it was a one word <laughs> review. Uh, as we were both listening to it, uh, and, I, and I, I couldn't understand that at all because uh, where was I listening? I was in the pub, uh, so <coughs> always in the pub. Yeah, well, yes, I, I used Big Finish as an excuse. I'm, I'm going to be uh, mailing them the bill for my new liver, but um, uh, yeah. So I, I was quite relaxed and quite focused, looking out of the window, uh, and I thought this this was the most uh, innovative Dal- Dalek story that they'd done 
in a long time. And, and I think uh, when, when we compared it to Energy of the Daleks, uh, which mm. was the latest Tom Baker one, um, you know, the, the two just don't compete. The, the, you've got one which is uh, the Energy of the Daleks, which is just a, a, a by-the-numbers Dalek story. Um, yeah, you, you can you can throw away uh, and. You don't need to listen to that again. Uh, and Curse of Davros, as you say, which I have only listened to once, uh, but looking forward to listening to again, mm. just it felt like they'd done something useful. I'm going to sound a tertiary spoiler alarm because I'm going to talk about the the thing that, uh, that we're worried about, about spoiling. Now, you might imagine, I, as I did when I came to it, I thought, well, what, what is the Curse of Davros? What's the, what, could it be this? Could it be that? Um, now, the Curse of Davros starts with, uh, with the Doctor falling to Earth. Um, this is how uh, Flip, the new, new companion, comes into contact with him again. Uh, in a kind of... Did you get a sort of a, a Rose feeling to yes, the beginning of that it's on my list. Rose yeah. and Mickey as well. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> and and at, at, at that point, I was thinking, oh, dear, I don't, they're just trying to rehash the Rose character. She's even on a London bus, I think. Mm. Uh, yeah. Planet uh, of the Dead. Yeah, as, as, they, as they see the, uh, the meteor or whatever it is land, and it turns out it's a capsule, and the Doctor is in it. Uh, now, and then for the next, for the rest of that episode, uh, uh, possibly even two episodes, uh, Colin Baker's performance is ever so slightly... Off, off, ever so, ever so slightly wonky, and I was thinking uh, it's things like he would say, uh, "I am." Uh, yes, it is. There was no truncation of words, um, and it was starting to, it was starting to um, rile me a little bit. I was thinking, "Has oh, Colin just turned up and is he just phoning this one in?" That's not like <laughs> him because he normally gives it his all. You, you can always count on Colin. In fact, when you go right back to the first ever big finish, uh, they do um, sirens of time. Yes. Colin Baker is the only one from that that nails his character straight off the bat. Uh, all the others are still trying to find it and, and don't quite quite get it. Anyway, so he always gives his all. So I was a bit, hmm, well, why why isn't he why isn't he doing this one? Is his mind not on the job? Anyway, it turns out that it's not the Sixth Doctor at all. It's it is Davros, and there's been some kind of body swap, as as James says, um, and uh, and he is in the Doctor's body. So that that slight uh, unnerving. Just, just slight change in the performance, which sowed the seeds of, of sort of doubt in my mind and made me feel a bit uneasy, was beautifully portrayed, beautifully done by by Colin. And then the other twist is that uh, the Doctor is obviously uh, now being transported into Davros's body, so he gets to find out what the curse of Davros is. You know, the curse of Davros is, is being Davros. Um, and as James says, Terry Malloy's uh, performance as the Doctor in Davros's body. Uh, uh, so it is, it is, it is Davros's voice, mm. but he's performing it as uh, as Colin Baker would. Is just brilliant, and, and they get all the little nuances of each other's characters. Yeah. Um, the Daleks are very effectively used. You've got two settings. You've got contemporary. You've got um, uh, like the, in the Napoleon War as well. It's it's a huge, expansive story. Uh, like I say it, it gives you so much, uh, and, and it, it's it's one of the ones that's on my list to listen to again. Because every now and again, you file one away. And, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll listen to that again because I really enjoyed it. But you don't want to do it too soon. You want to save it for a special occasion. So that'll be a holiday one, I think. But uh, highly recommended. Excellent mm. start to the trilogy. Uh, wonderful performances from uh, Terry Malloy and Colin Baker. Yeah, I mean, when you do get round to listening to it again, then you, you, you come at it from a completely different angle because, of course, you know what the story is and, mm. and, and you do suddenly start listening to the performances from the actors as opposed to just the dialogue that they're saying. Mm. And it is outstanding. It is absolutely outstanding. And, I, I mean, basically, Terry Malloy plays Doctor, Colin Baker plays Davros, 
um, you know, for the first two episodes of, of of this story, and and it works. But I I did want to ask you, Lisa, at what point did you twig or did you not twig until it was actually stated at the end of episode two? Uh, well, it's funny because uh, my missus was listening to it at the same time. Uh, so oh. I was going out um, and listening to it on my headphones uh, down the pub and she'd been listening to it and she was one episode ahead of me. And I came <laughs> home after listening to episode one uh, and said, I there's something a bit funny about um, uh, Colin Baker's performance. And I, I said this and I said, it sounds like he's just ringing it in. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't sound like the Sixth Doctor. It sounds like uh, he's just reading it off the page. I'm a bit disappointed. Pointed. And there was a look in her eye, and I just thought, well, what's going on here? Does she know something? And it turns out she did know something that I didn't, because she'd already got to, to the next episode. But no, I, I picked up on, on those, those little nuances in, in his pronunciation and, and, and his speech quite early on. And um, like I say, it unsettled me, so it worked perfectly. Well, it, it's actually some of the things that he says as well. It's really obvious. I mean, I, I, I picked it up the first time I listened to it, I would say towards uh, halfway through perhaps mm-hmm. halfway through, maybe towards the end of the first episode. But it was for me, it was very clear. And when that idea had come into my head, then you listened to the words that Colin Baker was was saying, and then you thought, there's, there's, there's no question here. And when I listened to it the second time, my only confusion was how on earth I didn't pick it up sooner, <laughs> because it is so, so obvious. So, come on then. Tell me what you're doing here. I am being hunted by some enemies of mine. They would have exterminated me already had I not managed to escape by stealing one of their ships. But as I was about to make the dimensional jump, they managed to hit the ship with a warp missile, destroying the engines. Right. Hence the whole crash thing. What concerns me is that my enemies will have pursued me through time. They are disinclined to give up the chase. Oh. And when they fail to discover my body in the wreckage of the ship, they will certainly come looking for me. Oh, right. You cannot tell anybody I am here. Nobody knows I am here, do they? That is clearly the big gimmick, if you like, of this uh, this entire story. But beneath all of that, there is a very good plot, too. And Jonathan Morris, who who um, has churned out a number of stories for Big Finish, and mm. I'd say a high percentage of his output is... is you know, fall into my favourite stories. Um, I, I would say, yeah, this this is really, really worth a worth a listen, and it, it definitely does have. And I, I don't know what the correct terminology is here, but there's references to the new series, as you say, not just um, uh, throwaway lines, but also the way that Flip, the new companion, who we'll talk about in a little bit more detail. Uh, in just a moment. The way she relates mm. to the Doctor, it's very, very similar to the way that Rose related to the ninth Doctor in, in, in Series 1. And uh, I, I did think that was a little mm-hmm. bit too obvious, particularly with the boyfriend, um, Jared, who is basically Mickey. <laughs> he really is Mickey. Um, and and towards, the, um, towards, I think it's the end of the third episode, he's quite happy to start killing people as well. Um, and that, that, to me didn't really gel with a character that had been established up to that point. So there, there was a slight jarring when I suddenly realised he's, he's sitting on top of a, a hill with a Dalek gun just shooting soldiers and didn't seem to have any adverse reaction whatsoever. You know, perhaps that's what he did <laughs> in the 21st century, who knows? But that, that, that's, that's nitpicking, in all honesty. And um, I'm, I'm now in a position to fully endorse this uh, without any hesitation whatsoever. Go get Curtis Davros. What is this place? The Dalek Command Centre. Right. Hence all the electrical cabins. So. 
We are reunited at last. It seems I have underestimated you. Of course. But then, that is a mistake you keep on making. You realize, of course, that at any moment I can summon the Daleks and have you exterminated. Yes. But if you dare to so much as lift a finger, your friend will die. Sorry, whose friend? What are you talking about? You are mistaken. The girl is unknown to me. Well, of course I am. We've never met. An amusing bluff. But it will not be enough to save you. The time has come for you to die. But, Doctor, you can't. You do not understand, my dear. Uh, I think I do. This guy's in a wheelchair. He can't defend himself. You can't shoot him. I won't let you. Flip, move out of the way. This man must die. No. Move out of the way, girl. That is an order. An order? Who do you think you are? Who do I think I am? <laughs> Who do you think I am? I don't know. But you're not the doctor. The doctor would never kill someone in cold blood like you killed that corporal. I was wondering how long it would take for you to work it out. What do you mean? My dear... I am not the Doctor. I am Davros. But if you're Davros, then who's the guy in the chair? Well, go on. Tell her. Tell her. My dear, I am the Doctor. Time now to visit the annex of the campervan as we join Ian and Michelle reviewing A Town Called Fortune. This week we get to take a look at A Town Called Fortune by Paul Sutton. Now in this one uh, we get to feature the sixth doctor in Evelyn visiting America this time. This is a nod to the Old West. The doctor slapped his hand hard on a large brown valise. Have you ever stopped to appreciate, Evelyn, just how fundamental the humble bovine was to the structure of early American society? Well, I admit it, I couldn't say I had. So, hey there, partner. What do you think of this here tall tale? Um, I thought this was actually a lot of fun. I'm not usually a massive fan of the historicals in Who, uh, and The Gunfighters, for example, is one of the stories that I've not gone out of my way to try and experience. This was my second time with an Evelyn story, and as I think many people think, I thought she's a very enjoyable companion. The Doctor has to be handled firmly sometimes. I think he appreciates by now that I'm not being cruel, and his ego can certainly take it. It's usually more on display than his garish patchwork overcoat. I I thought the scene they set was very good. It's very reminiscent of those Wild West movies and TV shows that we remember from when we were kids. And it rolled along at a cracking pace. You're right. This certainly touched all the stereotypes when it comes to the Western genre. There were chases on trains. I seem to be making a habit of jumping off trains for you, Doctor. There was a sleazy mayor who owned the town. His manner was as oily as the lotion in his tied back hair. There was, uh, oh, a saloon fight. (laughs) You risk being a little bit silly and a little bit... uh, 
unbelievable when you do that. But I think this hit just the right tone. I, I really enjoyed it. You say it's fun. I agree. That was one of the, the key words for me. This was an awful lot of fun to listen to, and I was willing to go with it. I thought the characters and the portrayals were very enjoyable. Um, while the characters were all fairly obvious stereotypes, they were well presented. Uh, and in particular, I loved Richard Cordy as Sam, the, the sheriff, whose voice was just incredible, came straight out of the Wild West. Evelyn, my story's about as straight as a bullet from a gun, and they don't usually come no straighter than that. It was amazing to listen on the extras afterwards to find out that he's actually a British actor who just puts on an American accent. I would have sworn that he was uh, an American actor they drafted in for the role. Oh, and and uh, on the contrary, I could tell right off the bat that it was a British person trying to do an American accent. was one of my small quibbles with it, uh, and I find that a lot with Big Finish. I kind of wish they had a way of getting in more American actors to do American accents. Oh, that's a shame, because it worked for me. Um, in terms of my quibbles, I thought that there were certain points where the plot started to become a little bit thin and tenuous. There were certain actions of the Doctor's, uh, in particular... Uh, uh, a sequence where he uses a load of explosives where you've no real reason why he's doing this and it's never really explained retrospectively it makes a bit of sense but the doctor couldn't have known that at the time and then at the very end of the story i thought that they it rolls to a dramatic finale but then there's actually huge great big gaps in the plot still and then we this sort of long info dump piece of exposition where the doctor just explains all the bits that were sort of mysterious from before, and it was a bit, hmm. It sounded like the writer had got himself into a bit of a corner and then just, you know, info-dumped his way back out of it again, which was a shame. Oh, that's interesting. I, I just didn't have that feeling for it. Once again, I like the framing device. I still think Big Finish can come up with some of the most interesting framing devices to explain why we have a character or two doing long stretches of narration. And in this case, it's uh, Evelyn Smythe chatting with the Sam character, the American character you were talking about. And so I think some of the info dump, if you want to call it that, follows along with the way the story was being told. But uh, and I should also admit... Uh, I, when Maggie Stables does the voice voices, she did several of the voices, and she had the bulk of the narration in this. Uh, I love her performances. Where where I struggled a little bit with the accent for Sam, uh, Maggie Stables did a couple of different American accents in this that I thought were were much more believable. I reflected aloud that Fortune sounded like it might be a nice place. Maybe we should go there too. I doubt it's a nice place, she said. Then may one ask why you are going there, the doctor queried. To find the man who killed my father nine years ago, she told him, without emotion. I was very impressed with her work as well, and in particular how she managed to get all the different characters to sound distinct, and you could tell who they were straight away, which can be quite difficult in some of these audios where you've not got any visual reference to go by. It was just a fun, enjoyable journey, listening to these great characters and this lovely scenery that they set, and... Yeah, good fun. Yeah, yeah, a romp through the old rest and uh, go for it. So on to the second story in the trilogy, which is The Fourth Wall, uh, which uh, sees the return of the um, oh, time space, what's the time space visualizer from The Chase, which, uh, which gave me a chuckle uh, straight off. So the Sixth Doctor, uh, he's believe he's watching cricket, isn't he? Is that right? Yes, in black and white. Yes, yeah, cricket in black and white, which I suppose is a hark back to uh, to the Doctor that preceded him. Maybe, I mean, there's still the vestiges of the Fifth Doctor in there. Doctor, Doctor, where you got to? Doctor, 
Doctor! Great. Drop me in the middle of a labyrinth and then scarper. Really chivalrous that is. Doctor! Doctor? Oh, the audacity! What a marvellous shock! Reverse sweep against the spin. <laughs> ah, good morning, Miss Jackson. Are you up? Am I up? Of course not. I'm wrapped up in bed. This is a figment of your imagination. Excellent. Take a seat. You're just in time for the game. You're not listening to me, are you? Doctor, I've been wandering the corridors for hours. Have you indeed? How marvellous for you. It's barely started. The fifth one-day international cricket match between Australia and South Africa 2006. Well, I know the result, of course, but I'm not going to spoil it for you. Sit down, sit down. All right. Ain't your cricket, are you? Hmm? Well, not as much as I was, but you never lose the taste. Not my game, really. Uh, you're more of a football fan, I suppose. Oi! Class prejudice? No. Can't be doing with none of that stuff. Bunch of idiot millionaires playing kickabout in the park. No thanks. So, what's your sport of choice? Bowls. Bowls? You never watched it? It's well addictive on a bank holiday. You catch sight of a game on BBC Two, you're gone for hours. Oh, that's a shame there. Not quite. What is this? Some sort of telly? Bit over-designed, isn't it? Oh, it's far more than a mere television. This is a time-space visualiser. A machine that takes energy from light neutrons and converts it into electrical impulses and therefore images. With this machine, we can watch any event from any period of history at any time we want. Blimey. Mm. Black and white. Is that all you can say? This is incredibly advanced technology, centuries ahead of your time. I offer you eternity, and you complain it's not in colour. It's not that. We're in a time machine. We already can watch any event from any period at any time. We go there. You can watch this actual match live if you wanted. Why do you want to watch it on this manky old thing? Well, I, 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 I like the commentary. Besides, what if I wanted to go again? I might end up bumping into myself and that would be terribly awkward. Some of my other iterations can be astonishingly irritating. You don't say. Yeah, so it starts uh, starts in a fairly comedic way. You get uh, quite a, a good bit of banter between Flip uh, and the Sixth Doctor. And I have to say that by the end of Curse of Davros, I was still undecided about Flip. Uh, I, I really wasn't sure. Yeah, because it did feel like it was aping uh, Rose, um, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure whether I was going to gel with her or whether I liked her. And I have to say, during this uh during this episode is 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 where I started to 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 get flip and quite like her being that sort of sassy uh, young girl. The rapport between her and the Sixth Doctor was um, uh, is is fabulous. It's somebody different for the Sixth Doctor to bounce with. He hasn't really had he hasn't really had his um, Lucy Miller, has he? I was going to say Lucy Miller sprung to mind to me yeah. too. I mean, is is Flip similar to Lucy? Do you think? Uh, I, I think I think it's more. Yes, I think I think she is quite similar. <laughs> I think it's, it's probably uh, uh, you know sort of fifty parts Rose, fifty parts. Um, yes. Yeah, uh, Lucy Miller with a little but bit it, of Donna a- attitude as well. I absolutely, think. yeah, and and it all seems to work quite well up against the Sixth Doctor, who 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 has a tendency to be quite pompous, and mm. uh, you know it's it's a nice foil. It's almost it's the opposite foil to Evelyn, isn't it? Yes, very much so, very much. So. I have to say, this story um, was uh, it, it it didn't really do it for me. Uh, the, the 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 premise uh, is that. Uh, uh, 
fictional characters are coming to life or, or they become aware that they are fictional characters um, uh, in a rather complicated way. And, and it's, quite a, it's quite an interesting premise, which I think was, was stretched beyond, it, it, uh, beyond, its, uh, its, uh, beyond reason. It's, it just it, it didn't work. They took a very, a very interesting small idea and tried to do far too much with it. Uh, what did you think to this one? Well, bearing in mind uh, what I said at the um, beginning of Curse of Davros, you know, I don't like duplicate stories. I don't like it that much where you get the same actor play a number of different roles. Um, Mm. Then you would expect me not to like this one. And uh, I'm Mm. afraid I'm going to repeat myself to a degree. On first first listen, I I really didn't like it. And I was extremely Mm. disappointed um, because John Dorney is is one of my favourite, well, not only writers, because he's written several really, really good um, big finish plays for other ranges. Um, he he's he's a fantastic actor as well, and uh, he's he's been associated with big finish for some time now. So I was really looking forward to his first attempt at you know the, a main range story, and I I, I didn't follow it, Lisa. Once again, mm. um, I I do think it's because I was listening to it you know whilst I was doing other things, and uh, this trilogy you just simply can't. You need to sit down and listen to it. And once again, I listened to all four episodes uh, over the last two days, uh, just just before um, I was due to record this. And I loved it. Once again, I couldn't believe it. I mean, I've, I've never had my head turned um, on two occasions so much. Because uh, normally I listen to a play, um, a big finished play, and I, that's it. You know, my, I, I form my opinion to start with. And if I do get round to listening to it again, nine times out of ten, it just reaffirms what I thought to start with. Uh, yeah. But not so on, on this story either. I really enjoyed it. Um, and it's it's a really comedic episode. Um, I mean, it, it's the futuristic story, if you like, um, despite mm. the fact that uh, the next story, the conclusion to the trilogy, is also set in the future. But this one is the space stations, um, and it's it's also the comedic story. Um, mm. it, it, it is supposed to be quite funny in places. Mm. And uh, again, the comedy didn't quite work for me to start with. Um, <laughs> it felt like a little bit of a cheap Radio 4 play, you know, some rather mm. obvious one-lines, some particularly dense characters that we can all laugh at. And uh, it just didn't seem to work. But again, listening to it, uh, particularly the beginning of episode three, I, I, was, I was laughing. It was really <laughs> funny. And uh, I, I gotta say, I really liked it once again, and um, I, I'm just surprised. It's clearly based. Um, well, this, this actually, is, I'll say, clearly based. That's quite a, quite a statement, but I'm going to say it anyway. It reminded me very much of a Virgin Sixth Doctor book uh, called um, "Time of My Life" or "Time of Your Life," I think it's called, mm. uh, written by Steve Lyons, and it was one of the very first. Virgin missing adventure books, and the Sixth Doctor is is travelling on his own in that, um, and he he meets uh, a young male companion in in, in that story, but he get, he 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 lands on um, a planet that is exclusively geared around media. Everybody is involved in the media, and he's still trying to come to terms. The Sixth Doctor is trying to come to terms with the fact that he could turn into the Valiard. So you had a very light kind of fluffy media-centric setting with a very dark Sixth Doctor in it. And the, hmm. the, the two combinations of, um, of, of... or the two story elements there worked in that book brilliantly. And I am absolutely certain John Dorney has read that book because I hmm. think there are some very clear 
um, influences there. Um, unless, of course, it's a complete coincidence, which it, which, which it may have been. But um, for me, it's it's a satire on current day television. It proves, I mean, I don't know when this is supposed to be set, but let's say it's hundreds of years in the future. The soap operas are just as bad as they are today, which <laughs> I found quite funny. Um, there's a race called the Porcians, who are pigs, <laughs> dressed in silver body stockings, who are rather dense. Now, this this was the kind of obvious comedic element to the story. But what what did you think of their inclusion? I know the, the Porcians. I was laughing for all the wrong reasons, and I was so sick of them by the end. Uh, uh, it's and I, I know I, I hate to be uh, too nasty about anyone, anyone's performance, but I think a lot of it is down to, to the way the way that they were they were performed. Oh really? Uh, really? They were very. Uh, they reminded me very. So you know, you, you have a cartoon. You have a, 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 a the bumbling. Um, Bumbling evil duo. One of them's clever. One of them's an idiot. And the idiot, oh, 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 I'm an idiot. Uh, and <laughs> a bit like Radio would, Rassilon, really. They exactly, exactly. <laughs> I, I, we won't go into who's who on that. Uh, I, I leave that for everyone else to decide. Uh, I'm not saying I am, but uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, but they just wore a bit thin. And I'm I'm aware that 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 was the stick. That was the idea because what this play is doing, uh, we should say, it, it's, it's about a, a soap opera or a science fiction TV series uh, that that is generated inside this this uh, wonderful computer. It's all quite convoluted, mm-hmm. but essentially they're they're real people. Uh, they become aware that they are that their lives are being scripted and that they uh, and then they they rebel. Uh, now the the Porcians aren't actually in. Are they actually in the? In real life, or are they in the yeah, they're uh, in the show? They're actually actors. They're yeah. they're um their characters are the warmongers. Mm, that's right, uh, and and they're all sort of playing on cliches. So you have the the cliche cackling villain, the Anthony Ainley master character, uh, and there's lots of uh, there's lots of lines which you can see are direct sort of um, uh, they're drawing parallels with yeah. um, certain aspects of, of Doctor Who itself, and they're, they're playing on these cliches. And the hero is a Captain Kirk style uh, woman, as Captain Zap sort of guy. Is he actually called Captain Zap? No, it's Laser. Captain Jack, <laughs> Jack Laser. Laser. Uh, and Zap's better. Uh, and like I say, I, I quite like the premise, and I, they're poking fun at these sorts of stereotypes, especially Doctor Who, because we like to think that Doctor Who, uh, as Doctor Who fans, we like to think that Doctor Who is is, a, is slightly better than Star Trek in in that sort of yes. uh, in that sort of <laughs> regard so it starts off uh, you can be quite smug as a Doctor Who fan thinking yes yes this reminds me of Star Trek and there's not nearly as many layers in Star Trek as there is in Doctor Who um, <laughs> but then it starts to poke fun at, at Doctor Who as well and, and that wasn't why, why it started to lose me it started to lose me because I, it felt like they may have had, may have been able to do this in a couple of episodes without uh, stretching the idea to the, to the, to the point where it, it, it got a bit thinner. I think it snapped somewhere through halfway uh, halfway through episode three for me. <laughs> well, that's uh, of course that's one episode that's pretty much um, completely devoid of the new companion flip. And mm. again, we, we we mentioned the fact that there was a huge spoiler in Curse of Davros. There's another huge spoiler uh, that we're going to talk about now as well in the fourth wall. And 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 that's you know one of the things that you can do when you create a companion exclusively for, for audio. You know, Big Finish own a character. So they can kill them off if they want to. Mm. And of course, that is seemingly what happens towards the end of episode two, I think it is. Or maybe it's partway through episode two. Mm. And it's done in a pretty conclusive way. And because it's not Perry, or because it's not Mel, you know that Big Finish may have decided to do something with their character that they couldn't do with a BBC-owned character. Mm. Uh, so there is a genuine era of suspense, I feel. Um, and, and when they play around with um, 
people dying uh, within Big Finish. And uh, another one that springs to mind is, is, is Tegan's demise in uh, The Emerald Tiger, which is in a trilogy mm-hmm. after this. Uh, that didn't work in any way, shape or form at all because you, you were supposed to really believe Tegan had died for an entire episode when clearly Janet Fielding wasn't available to record that, that episode. <laughs> it was just a waste of... You know, it, it was a very lazy plot, uh, which was unusual for Big Finish. Whereas this time around, it just worked perfectly and I honestly had believed by the end of the episode that was the end of Flip <laughs> uh, yeah so I, I, I don't, I'm not sure I'm not sure I did uh, because uh, because they seem to be doing so much work with her uh, I mean I think it crossed my mind well like you say there's a possibility uh, <laughs> and uh, the merest uh, you know, it, may, it may have just just crossed my mind but uh, I probably didn't believe it for very long um, uh, and, and it was at this point I was thinking oh well if if she is dead, that's a shame because I, I think I was uh, I think You're I was about like I think I was quite like it, and that's when I texted you and I, I said uh, against all odds, and I really didn't think that I would, but mm. I think I quite like Flip, uh, and uh, well, you didn't at that point, let's say. No, I didn't. No, I mean, <laughs> I, I I thought the character was was really poor at that point because mm. um, I think we were exchanging messages on my first listen, so I was mm. already annoyed that I didn't like Cursed Avros, and I went yeah. into the fourth wall thinking, God, this is even worse. Um, so no, and I really didn't like Flip. I thought you know a- another street kid, you know, because everybody goes back to Ace um, as, mm-hmm. as, as the most unconvincing street kid around. And, <laughs> uh, and you can say Flip is similar. I mean, apart from the fact that I think Flip is a silly abbreviation from Philippa. I've never mm-hmm. met anyone called Philippa who abbreviates their name to Flip. I really haven't. Um, <laughs> and what is it within Doctor Who about having to abbreviate everything? I mean, even Romana was Fred. Perry is an abbreviation. Mel yeah. is an abbreviation. Ace is a silly name. Um, you know why? What? What? Why do Doctor Who companions have to have an abbreviation? No, it's, it's a minor point, but it irritates me. Uh, <laughs> it, it didn't help. It didn't help when I knew that yeah. Lisa Greenwood had been um, had been cast as Flip, uh, but she had appeared, or the character of Flip had appeared before in um, Crimes of Thomas Brewster. Crimes of Thomas Brewster, which was also a Jonathan Morris script, and she was even less memorable uh, in, in in that uh, story than she was from Curse of Davros afterwards. Uh, there was no reason, I think, why this character should have been brought back. She didn't stand out. She wasn't intriguing any more than the other characters in that story. So I can only assume it's because. Lisa Greenwood really impressed with her attitude or um, her approach to work. Um, And yes, therefore, it's taken me a long time to get to the point where I will say, when we get round to talking about um, the third play in the trilogy, I hope it's not her end. Mm. I I hope she does come back. It took me a long time to get to that that position yes i was umming and ahhing about it and uh, and, and it's, it's not we should say it's, it's not a bad performance she doesn't she doesn't give a bad performance it's uh, it's the character she's been asked to play that i found so hard to to decide whether i liked or not um and yes. and i think it was it must be something to do with the writing in the uh, in, in the fourth wall actually she was given lots and lots of of good one-liners um yeah very funny lines very yeah. very funny lines very funny put downs for the sixth doctor that sort of you know burst his pomposity quite quite fabulously yes. and it's something that the sixth doctor needs i mean, I, I i absolutely love the sixth doctor um uh, uh, 
I, I just love Colin, Bales, Colin Baker's portrayal of, of, of the Doctor. Mm. Uh, and I, I don't say this just to be, because I know that he's, he's probably the, the least well regarded. I, I genuinely, I, there's something I really, really, really like about, about the Sixth Doctor. And I, I don't mind the costume. Uh, I don't mind uh, his, TV, his TV era too much. He's got some clunkers. But if he'd gone on for a bit longer, um, he probably wouldn't have had the same amount of clunkers as anyone else. There's only more concentrated clunkers in his era because it's, it, it's smaller than anyone else's. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely certain I agree with all of that, but I, I, I do think Big Finish have done wonders for his character, mm. and I think they've paired him up with some fantastic uh, creations mm. of their own, and Evelyn is one. Uh, he also worked fantastically with Charlie Pollard, yes. and that was that, that's a really good set of plays that uh, I, I'd recommend to anybody. And, uh, and, and Flip, I think, just suffered a little bit by comparison at the beginning, but there's there's no real reason I think now why she shouldn't return and like you say John Dorney has, has written her some great mm. lines and um, I I think that that that's one of the strength of a John Dorney script it's not actually just flips lines it's the other characters yeah. as well when when you have um, Again, I think is it Kral? I can't remember now. Uh, the chief villain um, within the the fictional TV mm. broadcast uh, begin to realise that he was real and that he so he wasn't real. He he was mm. created uh, for for no apparent purpose. The way that he says those lines is mm. brilliant, but it's it, it's the way that they're written that really strike. A bit of fear almost into the mm. listener, just because you realise, you know, the Daleks uh, have, have absolutely no compunction and no reason to be evil. They just want to kill everybody. It's quite rare you meet a convincing character who exists purely to destroy without motive, and yet mm. he achieved it in this play. On this, and this was it, wasn't it? Yeah, he, he, his realisation is he realises he's a two-dimensional character with no real motivation to, to, to be evil. Um, uh, and, and it kind of it knocks, it knocks his stuffing out. He, so he, he comes out of himself, he stops being a two-dimensional character at that point and, and becomes a, a person outside of that, looking at the fact that he's a two-dimensional character and thinking, um, what is the point? Why, why am I just, uh, why am I killing people? You know, there's no motivation for it. And so there's all sorts of nice, nice ideas in, in this, but I, I just don't think that they filled the four episodes. Um, I think... I think they were stretched a little bit too far, but but they were they were nice ideas, and, and this 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 idea that, uh, that that a fictional character can can realise that they are that they are a fictional character and then have an opinion about that is, is quite interesting. And the League of Gentlemen did it uh, in a in the TV in the movie that they made, uh, uh, and 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 again, it, it, I don't think it it filled the movie. I think it's it's a nice idea. It's hard to extrapolate. It to um, you know to to any sort of length. True, and it's been done a few times, um, yeah. you know, in various different things. I mean, if you consider the almost people and Rebel Flesh at the end of that story, um, mm. then the gangers suddenly became real. You know, mm. they 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 realised that they didn't really have any kind of uh, purpose and so on. So mm. you know, e- even that it, it, it's quite a similar quite a similar idea. What would you have me do? Lead your beasts into the heart of his empire. Tear it apart from within. Destroy its very soul. I am to kill him. Well, that's the idea. You're an indestructible, evil psychopath. Should come easily. That's how you made me. You're learning well. He must die with agonising slowness, watching his company burn, knowing it's my hand twisting the knife. How do we do it? 
It wouldn't be without complications. He does not go unprotected. I have my warmongers. They are born to kill. But even then you might not have enough. So? This room contains every copy of Laser we have, ready for distribution. And there, a duplication device. I run these through Shepard's machine, and you can have an infinite army. Even Drexel can't stop that. Laser? Yes. It's called... Laser? The show, yes. Why? Because he's the lead. He's the hero. I see. Is, is something the matter? I'm the bad guy. Yes. He destroys my happiness, kills my wife, and yet I am the bad guy. It's supposed to have been an accident. We still haven't worked out the details. That's not important. You could have written me good. Why didn't you write me good? I could have been happy. Well, where's the drama in that? Drama? Drama? Is that all it was? That is all it is to you. Drama! It's a television program. So? I am alive. I exist. I feel. You killed my wife, and for what? Dramatic impact. Um... When your life's destroyed, you expect sympathy. You expect me to help make reparations, take revenge. What's the matter? Don't you like drama? I... Not so nice when it happens to you, when it's your world being ripped to shreds. It hurts. It burns. Death isn't entertainment. You take this very personally. You killed my wife to make me evil. How could I not take it personally? Stop! You're joking me! Am I? Am I really? I hadn't noticed. Please, I... You have responsibility to those you create. If you give us life, you must honor that life. You must not hurt us for no reason. I... What sort of sick mind creates only to give pain? To torture his children for the entertainment of others? You're not real? If I'm not real... Who's throttling you? Please have mercy. Mercy? If you wanted mercy, you should have written me more three-dimensionally. Okay, moving on to the final story in this trilogy, Wirren Isle uh, sees the return, strangely, of the Wirren. <laughs> and, and again, not not the most obvious monster really to bring back on audio uh, when you consider they've only made one appearance on television. I mean, a very successful appearance, it has to be said. Mm. And I think Big Finish have had one other story with them, and that was an Eighth Doctor story. And again, I seem to remember really enjoying that too. But this one, uh, yeah, it's it, it's set in the future. It's back on Earth and during an ice age, I believe. Mm. And it's, it's, it's got a very small group of characters, quite a small cast here. And the action flicks between Earth uh, during that time period and a space station, I believe, that's, uh, that's orbiting, orbiting mm. the planet. And there's, there's lots of plot points that hinge on transmat technology. And uh, that, that, for me, I think is, you know, it perhaps is influenced by 
Seeds of Death, Patrick Trousen's story, um, and, mm-hmm. and there's been books written purely about such networks. Uh, ben Aranovich wrote a new adventure called Transit, uh, that again was 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 based on instant travel, basically between between planets. So it's not a new concept once again. Whether or not it works on audio, because it is quite a visual concept. Someone disappearing. And then mm-hmm. appearing elsewhere, you think of Blake Seven. You think, you know, with the transporters, Star Trek again with the with the transporters. It's it, it it's there normally to have a a bog standard fancy CGI effect. Now that isn't possible within an audio. So as a result, the writer here is William Gallagher, who's a, who's a newbie, I think, uh, to, to Big Finish decides to tell us how it works scientifically and mm. uh, there's a hell of a lot of techno babble here in fact it you know it may not be techno babble it may be based on real science but this story for me is best summarized as saying it's a bit bibmead forage porridge we called it we found it growing on the forest floor all those years ago it's really very nutritious yeah proper organic What is it exactly? We're not quite sure. Roger said a fungus. There's lots that's missing from the Nerva records. Neither flora nor fauna, you see. So, who was it spilled your porridge? Don't tell me Goldilocks. Who's Goldilocks? Oh, never mind. The crew, you said. Something about a Nerva City crew? An advance party gets sent out to each new colony. You know, to secure the area, get the hot water running, that sort of thing. They're supposed to stick around, to help out for the first few days, not just make a mess and vanish. Right. Water's ready. Ah, Flip. Fully recovered. Yeah, cheers. Come in. Veronica's about to dish up her special porridge. Dad wants to eat now. And it's just as well we're ready. Roger, we need some more O2 packs. We need to conserve them, Veronica. We won't always have visitors. And Sheer will bring more. Sheer? He's joining us after his tour on the space station. I like shit. Uh, who doesn't? Roger, you sit there. Toasty, too. Flip, come by me. And Flip's f- friend, take a seat. Thank you. This is porridge? Porridge porridge. It's a kind of joke. I take it you didn't bring it with you from Nervous City, then? They find it on the forest floor. All my life they've been going on about it. Forage porridge. It's supposed to be delicious. Ah. Hey! I wouldn't tuck in just yet if I were you, young lady. Oh, we're supposed to say grace or something. I'm afraid this substance you call forage porridge isn't food. Nonsense. It's perfectly good and natural. Eat up, Tasty. I'm serious. This isn't food. It's mucus. Mucus. If I'm not mistaken, and I so rarely am these days, it's Wirren mucus. What's Wirren? Yeah, he said mucus. Doctor, you're worrying, Toasty. It's not very polite, transmatting in and trying to frighten us. What's Wirren? Again, he said mucus. They haven't been seen in decades. They were like giant insects, I suppose. Adult Wirren are like insects, yes. But they start out as pupae, and as pupae they leave slime trails. Mucus. This is fresh. You said there should have been a party here before you? A Nervous City crew. Just a pair of melty skills. Hmm. Trail. Slime trail. You said the crew must have spilled that stuff. But when we got here, there was like a massive streak of it all along the floor. Show me where it led. Well, all under the table. All the way to the pantry door. This pantry door? 
yeah. And you didn't open it? No. Leave that alone. I don't know about any pantry. There's a junction box in there. Mm, warm. Toasty, in fact. The first place they go. Doctor, don't do It's quite all right. I know what I'm doing. Oh, my God! Toasty, don't look. What are they? What's left of two multi-skills, I presume. Husks. Abandoned once they'd been eaten. Those are really people. That's it. Everybody, we're leaving. Ha! You've been looking for an excuse, Veronica. And... and yes, yes, now I've found one. Anything to split the family up. We're staying. I strongly recommend you leave. Wouldn't catch me staying anywhere where something does that to people. Roger, focus on this. I came here to keep the family together. But it's just a little hard to keep us together if we're going to die. You too, Flip. You're going back to the TARDIS. Oh, it's fine. You're not getting rid of me. You're very cheeky to your dad. He's not my dad. Transmat right now. Including you, Roger. And you, Doctor. It's it's set uh, in, the, in the far future, uh, post-Ark uh, in Space, uh, where the human race have come back, or, or they're sent, they've sent small groups of people down to the planet's surface to, re- to begin repopulation. Uh, so it, it, it does dovetail nicely with the, with the original uh, Weirin story. Uh, so that's where we meet uh, this family. And it's, um, it's kind of a base under siege, uh, small, mm. tight cast. There's, there's only a very, very small cast in this. So you, you never really... You, know, you hear... Um, uh, clips and, and uh, radio messages from from the beacon uh, and all the descendants of Nerva Beacon, uh, as these families have been sent off to to, to begin repopulation, uh, and it's horrible. It's, it's it's an icy wasteland, and this is where the Doctor and Flip sort sort of join things. Um, um... <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> it's just it's, that, that's exactly. It's just a bit of a non-story. That yeah. uh, there's only so far you can go with the dialogue between this this family. Once they've set up the family dynamic, you've got Toasty, the, the girl, um, who for some reason is 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 always warm, even though it's cold. Yes. You think you think, and I, I was thinking, is, is that going to be? Um, is presumably that that's they're laying a seed there that they're going to use later on, but they didn't. Uh, and then the, the sun has gone missing years and years and years ago, uh, which which is it's just kind of what the story is about, because he. Uh, his father is is obsessed with with uh, the transmat uh, and, and playing about with it, and he ends up transmatting his son, uh, unbeknownst to his family at this point, I think, um, uh, out into the wasteland where he is. Uh, He's sort of transposed, spliced with a Wirren. Mm. Um, and we don't find this out until they go out into the wastelands and they discover not just one Wirren. Um, he's like a he's a, a mutated, updated, half-human Wirren. So you know, they're, they're moving sort of the idea of Wirrens on there. Uh, and there are lots of other Wirrens on, on the planet. Mm. They've obviously they've populated the Earth way before and they're just in the ice waiting. Uh, which is all oh, kind of a nice idea, but there, there's lots of um, there's lots of long unnecessary scenes in this. Uh, Flip does get her um, her moment of glory where she uh, she flies a microlight across the ice. Oh, that was ridiculous! That was ridiculous. Yeah, it didn't work on audio because no. having to explain everything that's going on, um, you know, all the propellers stopped. Well, it's not. It's uh, not oh, just no, it that. started again. It's not actually that. It's the fact that the damn thing is powered by petrol. <laughs> I mean, there's a refer, there's a reference there that it's powered by petrol, um, mm. and, and this is how how many thousands of years in the future? It just didn't. I mean, I, yes, okay, they may be possibly relying on, <clears throat> you know, twentieth century technology or or um, combustible fuels at that point, but a microlight. It really. I mean, I couldn't get out of my mind a large motorbike that Hagrid might be riding, um, <laughs> with some wings, and, and as you say. Um, 
I was just about to say Lucy there, but it wasn't Lucy, it was Flip, you know, yeah. keeping in radio contact with the Doctor saying, go up, go down, oh no, I'm going yeah. down, or the propeller, can you hear the propeller? You know, it's, 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 it's stuff that Big Finish, I think, uh, eradicated from their plays a long, long time ago, and uh, mm. it has been creeping back into a, a couple of plays where the yeah. characters sit there and describe what's going on, and it completely takes you out of... Um, the story just because it's so unrealistic you don't sit there with someone and go can you see that can you see that micro light there just descending it's coming down or mm. it's coming down a bit fast isn't it can you see that you know, it, it doesn't work like that I tell you the, no. the one that uh, the one that you get a lot on Big Finish this is the one that, that has been creeping in a lot I've noticed is oh he's just disappeared yes. in front of my eyes <laughs> <laughs> or, or something has just vanished and, and then they have to describe it out loud it, it's a real shame it's a real shame because as I said I mean that the, the audio medium was enhanced massively um, I, I think from any kind of audio play uh, that I'd heard in the past, when Big Finish got got their hands on on, on the license, and you look at Whispers of Terror, that's the third ever mm. um, play. That's also a Colin Baker story. The whole story plays to the oral senses. You know, the mm. monster is actually a sound monster. You know, and maybe that's going too far. You know, you can't use that in every story, but they were using the oral medium um, or the audio medium. I'm not quite sure what the right word is there. To tell the story now, they've either forgotten to be as as um, or, or pay as close attention to detail in the drafts of these scripts, or they're thinking, do you know what? It doesn't actually matter, and I mm. and I do hope it's not the latter. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I think I think it, it does matter very much, and and it's very striking in the early big finish. They they are they're just they're so well written, yeah. and and it must be incredibly hard to write something uh, that you uh, that you know is going to be audio. Um, and and not do these things because you must have there, there are things that you would like to say or like to con- convey which which probably would be impossible without somebody doing that sort of reaction and saying oh yeah. he's just disappeared before my very eyes uh, but yeah you've got to find ways around it it's just writing for a different medium but uh, yeah I hope it doesn't creep in too too often no I, I have noticed it a couple of times in the last year or so um, the, the Wirren I wasn't overly impressed with I mean in all honesty yeah, I mean, I, I can understand why the story was, you know, it was written around the return of the Wirren. There's no question of that. Mm. But, you know, if if you take out the Ark of Space link, these Wirren could have been any monsters. They could have been a brand new monster, you know, and mm. the actual story would have stayed more or less the same. And yeah. uh, I, I think that's a bit of a shame as well. But um, so, I, you know, Wirren, obviously they're, they're given voice in this play as well. Yep. Which which kind of moves them a little bit too far away from the original story, and the Doctor in the Ark in Space had no issue whatsoever with killing the Wirren, despite mm. the fact they could have been the last of their kind. In this story, you know, it, it's almost as though he prevents the other characters from killing the Wirren just so that it can last four episodes. Yes, yeah, it, it felt another. It, it was it was dragged on because you you didn't have enough going on between this this tight small cast of characters. So you, to justify to justify it going on this long, and I don't think the um, the Wirren human hybrid, um, which, which we have to say is is different to to because you have a similar thing in, in the Ark in Space. Yes, uh, yes. But do. this was this is not the Wirren, um, you know, taking over the bodies uh, of people. This this was a, a splicing accident with the with the transporter, which left them half and half. So you've got that, the conflict between the Wirren, who is who's still got these the memories of. Uh, 
of the boy that he is and and sometimes they come through when he's talking to his mother and then see so you've got that conflict mm. between the wearing and the human which yeah is 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 nice but how far can you take it and i, I think they probably took it as far uh, as you could uh, and this play for me it was just one that i had to listen to so that i could say i've listened to it okay so it's not one two three four perhaps if we push together <laughs> oh my god what are you he's out there right now he's willing but he's still iron inside and i can get him back I can get the human boy back. Don't you want that? Toasty? Of... Of course. Please! Please stay away! Girls are so weak. You're hardly a boy. Oh, revolting. You're, you're an enormous, great, sweaty insect. I'm iron. Yeah, you already said. I'm Flip. Let's see who's weak. Blimey, power still works, fantastic. Keep out! I'm warning you, just set up! Branch, please stop, Branch, oh no. Doctor, please! Come in, Doctor! Flip, are you calling me? What's happening? No. No. It's been 15 years. It, it, it can't be. Flip! It can't be. It isn't. I, 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 I've got you. Lean on me. Tell me. Tell me she's only saying it. She is saying iron, but it's not what you think, Veronica. Sounds to me like my son is alive. Flip! Flip, is iron all right? I can't do it without you, Toasty. Whatever you need, I'll do it. I just need your DNA. You won't even know I've done it. Branches! More branches at the window, the other window, and the door! Here's Ironclad. Meet my new family. Help me, Doctor! There's... There's ten, twelve of them. Oh, oh, no. Ow! Oh. for the transmat! I think I just tripped over it. Don't go, Flip. We're in. They're between me and the controls. What do I do, Doctor? What do I... Hmm. Yeah, this this for me was was the weakest. This is this was the weak link of uh, of the trilogy. It's the one that was left the least impression on my mind. Uh, probably won't get a second listen. Uh, unless unless I'm absolutely stuck. <laughs> well, I, I'm going to. I'm going to listen to it again because my, the, the re-listens of the first two plays in this trilogy was so... Um, well, they influenced my opinion so much that I am beginning to wonder whether or not I've, uh, I've, I've, I've got more to offer about this play that's positive. But my, my, my overriding memory, and from discussing it with you now, Lisa, is, is, is not good. <laughs> and I, 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 do, I do think that big Finnish stories that feature lots of ice and snow tend to be quite poor. <laughs> I mean, if you... Well, that's it, because you've, got, you've basically got an expanse of nothingness, which, which, is, which is the scape that it's trying to paint in your mind, which 
is also mirrored by the, by the script and the story, I think. Yeah, well, ab- absolutely. Uh, and then, so as a result of that, you then got to focus the action in one particular place, and that is the same, mm. uh, true, same as true of Land of the Dead, and yeah. uh, Lurkers as Sunlight's Edge, which uh, I think mm. is, 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 is certainly, in my book, the worst story Big Finish have ever uh, released. It was, mm. it was absolutely dire. Um, but the the only the only story that I really do like that features ice quite a lot or stories are the Ice Warrior stories. And there's been quite, oh, there's been yeah. quite a few of those um, mm. which which have been done very very well. But yeah, overall disappointing. I would say Dis- disappointing conclusion. Absolutely. I mean, if you if you're going to have uh, the action focus on a very very small cast of characters, then then they have got to be uh, you know the dynamic between them and you know the and, and the jeopardy and what's happening to them has to be has to be really really good yeah. because it's easy to get bored with with um you know with, with a with a cast of uh, of not very good characters which, which is, I think is what we ended up with here it was hard to invest any mm. emotional attachment to it. although they were a family you know I, I, I didn't really get behind them I didn't really uh, I had nothing invested in them you're right and what, what, was there a social commentary on forced marriage there as well I mean it's it, it, it might be yeah. stretching it to be honest but I mean you mentioned mentioned it earlier the, uh, the 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 repopulation program you know um people mm-hmm. were put together in order to repopulate and of course this this marriage as it turns out isn't a happy one so i i i i don't know whether it was trying to be a bit too clever there either yeah i mean i i had episode 1 i i, I was i was fairly confident i was quite quite hopeful uh, sort sort of enjoyed that i think the the big uh, reveal in episode 1 is that is that they thought that they could go back at any point but then they discover that yeah, they uh, th- yeah. that it's a one way trip it's a one way transmat which is why um the husband has been uh, i mean he he was a transmat expert anyway but uh, he uh, he has become so obsessed with trying to get it to work, um, mm. and I think with a view of, of escaping, if possible. Um, so it, it had it had potential, but the potential was squandered. Yeah, I think what I want to see, uh, which we don't seem to have anymore, is I want to see a, a TARDIS team. Uh, I, I mean, and I'd, I'd be quite happy for to to, to have uh, Flick and the Sixth Doctor uh, on on a few more adventures. But as you've said before, James, um, Big Finish tend to uh, they've, they've gone down this road of having brand new companions all the time, and I, I, I want a Sixth Doctor team that um, a companion team that I can sort of invest a bit in and see them go off and and have some adventures. Uh, do, do you think we're going to get that? Well, I think I think Mel's returning. Yeah, I, I think Mel's returning quite soon. I can't remember when, but it's been a while since Bonnie Langford has uh, mm. has recorded with Big Finish, and I'm not entirely certain whether Mel's going to go with um, the Sixth Doctor or the Seventh Doctor. I think it's the Sixth Doctor, but I I, I do know what you mean. Um, I I think clearly it must be. Well, I say clearly. I'm guessing it's cheaper. It's cheaper to use. Um, actresses or actors who mm. haven't appeared in Doctor Who don't have an established career yet and uh, I think it's a great it's a great inclusion on their CV yeah. as well to say hey I've done Doctor Who you know which is great and they've they've, they've found some brilliant actors oh, and actresses yeah. and I, 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 I think Lisa Greenwood is really really good as Flip I think uh, India Fisher as Charlie Pollard mm. was amazing. Uh, Sheridan Smith wasn't mm. a discovery. She was already very well established by the time she became Lucy Miller but um, you know it's yeah, I would like a bit of consistency as well. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm happy for it to be flip. I'm happy for it to be a, a new companion that's introduced. I'm not suggesting, um, you know, uh, 
classic companions. I, I just want to, I want to see a bit of a journey. I want, like you got with the, with Charlie um, uh, and the Eighth Doctor, yeah. and then the Sixth Doctor. You, you felt like you were going on a journey with them, like you used to in the old days when you were a kid watching it. You know, a bit a bit more time invested in um, uh, in, in them travelling would be nice. Well, this is it, and I think the Eighth Doctor range was was a good vehicle mm. uh, to introduce a brand new companion to, because you know it's it, it's an experimental range, really. Uh, oh, it was. No, it, it's now been assimilated into the main range, the Eighth Doctor yeah. stories. But when you had a series of eight or nine, or I think in the last run, ten mm. stories, all you know, once a month with the same characters. Mm. You got that sense of uh, a Jonah that you're talking about. You can't really do that with the main range, I suppose. I mean, we if we do get another series of Sixth Doctor and Flip plays, it'll probably be in about twelve months' time. Mm. You know, therefore you've got to go back and listen to these three plays again, <laughs> just so that you can remember what's uh, what, what what's gone on. Um, but the, the things that I'm waiting to see are either a fifth or a seventh Doctor story with Davros. Because we've yet to get those from Big Finish in what twelve, thirteen years now. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, well, because the Seventh Doctor never really, uh, never really had his. Well, he had his moment of, of shouting at the end of Remembrance, but <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, he never really got that. Because um, I, I, I love it. Yeah, when when Davros and the Doctor confront each other, um, it was marvelous. With, with Tom Baker did it marviously. Just. Uh, uh, Doer didn't ta- almost didn't take him seriously, uh, which uh, which wound Davros up, especially in Destiny. Yes. I, I love the way he's so he's so just uh, he's, he's so flippant and and not interested, uh, which which winds Davros up. I love that moment where where, where the two meet uh, and Colin Baker in uh, in uh, Revelation. Revelation. I always get Revelation and uh, Remembrance mixed up because Remembrance, in my mind, should be the one that's in the funeral parlour. Uh, yes, I see what you mean. Yes. Now, oh, great. I mean, I was confused before. I'm going to be even more confused now. <laughs> Any Dalek stories beginning with R, I get confused. <laughs> so. uh, but it's, yeah, yeah, it'd be nice to to see see five um, having uh, sort of facing up with Davros again, and and seven if he's on form because uh, I, d- I don't think uh, Sylvester McCoy is always he's always on form when when he's uh, when he's uh, uh, performing for Big Finish. So I think Ooh. I think there are times. When uh, he sounds like a man that's reading it off a page. <laughs> now, and on that controversial note, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, no, so sometimes I think he, he invests a bit more time than, than others. I, and I know I think it's you or Trev that has said to me before that that, it, that they think that it's um, it, it, he plays it differently depending on where he is in his timeline. Yeah, that's 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 me entirely. That doesn't wash with me. No, oh, it's true. No, it sounds you you, you watch um, season what is it twenty. Four, mm. yeah, season twenty-four, um, Sylvester McCoy's first season. Mm. Um, he he comes across as flippant mm. and reading lines in those stories as well. The only difference being is that you can see him, whereas you know, and there are times when when he goes back uh, to fill in the gaps, then he will act in a similar way for Big Finish. And I'm sure, I'm sure we've, we, we, you're right, we have covered this before. Mm. But there are some other plays um, towards the end of, of his run that are either set around the time. Um, or just shortly after survival is set, or or before the Teddy movie, um, where where he's dark. That character is is more dark than than you saw him in in, in the final season mm. on Teddy. And those are the small quiet moments where he can he can turn a situation 180 degrees in the mm. other direction with just a few 
lines. Yeah. And the way that he performs those are brilliant. I, I think McCoy is an exceptionally intelligent actor, and I think he knows precisely what he's doing. No, I'm, I'm, I'm not as, not as convinced. Not, not as convinced at all. I think, I think <laughs> sometimes he's, he's, he's a bit more invested in a story, or he's done a bit more um, homework, perhaps, than, than others. Um, whereas, who knows? Whereas, I, I feel with, with, with Colin Baker, you, you know, you're going to get a, a quality performance from him every time. I mean, I've never, I've never heard anything from Big Finish. Um, I mean, sometimes the stories aren't, aren't up to it, but uh, Colin, Colin is always there, 110. Um, percent mm. You can all, always count on him to to be the Sixth Doctor. Yes, but that's because you love the Sixth Doctor. Well, I suppose I I have to have to uh, I have to admit bias. <laughs> but no, I I think uh, these three plays, uh, getting back to what we're supposed to be discussing, I suppose. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I would say they're a worthwhile investment. Um, it's it's hmm. they're not the best. It's not the best Colin Baker trilogy ever. I don't think, but it's by no mm-hmm. means the worst, and they're, they're by no means the worst plays. Uh, the big finish of released either. So I I, yeah. I think it comes with a yeah. It's it's. It, it's a recommendation. It, 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 it's, hmm. it's only a qualified recommendation because of the last play. And I think when hmm. you go into a story and you think, great, this has got an iconic monster returning, you know, your expectations are set a little bit higher. And perhaps that's why I was disappointed more than more than I would be otherwise, perhaps. Hmm. Well, and I would say if if you have budget concerns, if, if, you, if uh, the, the world recession is hitting the pocket hard and you can only afford one of these... Uh, I would go with Curse of Davros. Davros. No, I'm with you there uh, completely. Yeah, yeah, hands down. And and don't worry that you're going to be missing, um, because you you can listen to that in isolation and it it will be a, a fulfilling experience. Uh, and and don't worry that you know, if you if you're not uh, going to be listening to the other two that you're you're missing out on anything too too big because the these trilogies although they are. Although they are trilogies that they're they're not so heavily linked uh, as as you think they they might be. I, I when I first came to listening to the to the trilogies um, altogether, I, I was surprised by how how not connected they were. So mm. so you can dip into these things if you know if if you're if in fact if you're new to Big Finish uh, and you want to just dip in, you don't have to worry about uh, you know continuity too much with them. Um, all of their plays pretty much can be listened to in isolation and, and be enjoyable. Hmm. If you've not given them a try before, give them a try. So in episode 157, which will be on your feeds in approximately seven days' time, if all goes according to plan at least, Trevor and Leeson uh, are going to be with you. And this time they're going to be talking you through the first half of the 10th Doctor's Era. Yes, it's another one of our Doctor retrospectives. Uh, we've received quite a lot of requests over the months, over the past few months uh, to focus once again on uh, one particular era. And we haven't talked about the 10th Doctor for what seems like ages, if in fact we have at all on the, on the DWP. So Lisa and Trevor will be your guide through 2006 and 2007, I think. I think that's how we've divided it up. Is it that long ago? Uh, I'm actually looking forward to this because um, because I, I, I have to say I, I was a bit sick of the Tenth Doctor by the time I, I was ready I was ready for a change by the time it came to his uh, um, regeneration. Uh, and I've been, I've been so wrapped up uh, in how wonderful Matt's portrayal is as the Eleventh Doctor. I've done very little dipping back into the uh, into the Tenth. So it'd be fun to go back to some of my favourites and maybe maybe some of the ones that, that didn't didn't touch me so much at the time uh, and see how I feel about the Tenth Doctor now there's a bit of distance yeah it should be quite fun hmm. uh, and of course very very soon 
we're going to be going through our spoiler-filled Season 7 preview. Now, oh. Neeson, that's going to be hard for you. It's because, going to be hard. Well, the last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of new information springing up on the internet as well. Is there really? So, um, yeah, yeah, there has, if you know where to look. Um, well, I know where to look. You have to know where to look in order to know not to look there. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're quite right. But, of course, there's always the possibility of picking up something uh, by mistake. And some of the papers in this country are not that responsible where it comes to reporting um, or, or previewing TV series on a spoiler spoiler free basis uh, but yes we shall be we shall be looking at season seven very very soon uh, Leeson as always it's been wonderful to talk to you it's been wonderful to talk to you about Big Finish for once yeah absolute pleasure mm, indeed and we'll be back soon bye for now cheerio that was the Doctor Who podcast which you can find at the Doctor Who podcast dot com if you have any feedback please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. And Angus Time, who either emailed or tweeted us pretty much the same. Bless you. Excuse me. That's staying in. He's disappeared before my very eyes.